again. Good morning. You know, I don't, I don't mind preaching, but I don't want to preach in front of an audience that's asleep. So I just need to make sure that you guys are awake there. Um, I guess briefly, this, this ring has been up here for, I guess, about a week or two. It's a, it's a black stone of some sort. If that belongs to you, it's right up here. Come, come grab it. I don't know what it is. All right, so on a side note. All right, so this morning we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We will not be necessarily preaching from the Bible. We're going to be preaching about the Bible. Okay, I don't want you to think I'm a heretic by doing this, but what I am doing this morning is I'm going to give you some information that should give you a firm foundation and strengthen your confidence in the Word of God. We're going to be asking the question, is it reasonable for us to believe the New Testament? Is it a reasonable thing? Can we believe the New Testament based on logic and good reasoning? How many of you ever heard, well, you just got to believe the Bible by faith? How many of you ever heard that? Not anybody. Okay. All right. So we, we've heard that. We just got to take the Bible by, by faith. Now, what do you mean by faith is, is really what we have to get down to. Do, do you mean believe the Bible with, without any evidence? Okay, yeah, you can do that. And if it's true, you're still believing in something that is true. But it's, it's usually really easy, and it builds your confidence to know why you believe something is true. Many of my years, many of my years as a Christian growing up in a, in a, church, in a church every Sunday, I believed the Bible to be true, but never really came to a knowledge of why I believed the Bible was true. And once I started to study into this, and started, started to really learn more about the Word of God, the stronger my confidence got in how the Word of God is true throughout history, archaeology, through science, and all of those different things, the Bible can stand firm. Because why? Because it is true. And I know that it's true, and though, and though it, may, it may sound funny to say that I don't believe the Bible by faith, I believe the Bible because it is true. Not because I don't have any evidence, I believe the Bible because it is true. And I know that it's true because of the evidence that it lies out. Now, regardless of whether I have evidence for something or not, and something claims to be true, doesn't mean that there has to be evidence in order for it to be true. But it's very nice to have evidence. Would you agree? Yes. We all like, we all like to have proof of what we believe. Now, whenever we're asking the question, is it reasonable to believe the New Testament, there's some presuppositions that even to make the statement that the, the New Testament is true or required. Now, those, these, these, uh, these presuppositions are things that we will address in the future and actually go into the New Testament um, you know, later in the future along with this, the study that I'm trying to put together. But there are presuppositions that we take whenever we go to the New Testament and say that it is true. And those three, three presuppositions are, is one, that truth exists. Okay, so unless you're postmodern, Okay, you can take that one for what it is. Truth exists. So if truth doesn't exist, then the New Testament can't be true, can it? But neither can any other book that has ever been written be true. So truth does exist. So that, that's one, one, one thing. And so, so, so truth exists. Does God exist? That's another presupposition. Okay, does God exist? Now, I believe that we have scientific and philosophical facts to back up the truth that God does truly exist. Now, we can believe that we do have a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, powerful, perfect, moral creator who's intelligent and personal to us, and that is the God of the Bible, simply because we have a creation that came out of nothing, so it had to come from somewhere. Now, there's a lot more to that argument, but does truth exist? Does God exist? But if truth doesn't exist and God doesn't exist, 
then the New Testament doesn't stand a chance, right? But there's also another part to that. Are miracles possible? Okay, are miracles possible? Well, if truth exists, and God, who created the world completely out of anything, and if that God does exist, and he can do whatever he wants within his creation, regardless of what natural forces say you can and can't do. He can work in contrary to what we know of the physical world. So it is possible, if God exists, that miracles are possible. So if truth exists, God exists, and miracles are possible, now we can actually go into the New Testament to see if it's reasonable to believe it. It is reasonable to believe that truth exists, God exists, and that miracles are possible. But if truth doesn't exist, God doesn't exist, and if miracles are not possible, the New Testament doesn't stand a chance. So we will talk about those in, at, a, at a later date. So we are going to go with the presupposition this morning that truth exists, God exists, and miracles are possible. So we're going to the New Testament. Is it reasonable to believe the New Testament? Now, if you claim to believe that the Bible is true, what you must, what you must understand is that you better be able to trust what it says is true. If you believe the Bible, you need to trust what it says to be true. Now, trusting the Bible means knowing two different things. The first thing is, is that the original writers recorded historically accurate information. Okay, that's what we need. If it's going to be true, then the writers, the original writers, had to record things that were historically accurate. And second, you must know that the Bible that you hold in your hand today contains the historically accurate information that the authors originally wrote. Okay? Those are some things that we kind of that we that we presuppose. Now, do we have any evidence for this type of for this for this line of thinking? Is it reasonable for us to believe the New Testament? Well, there's a science called textual criticism that um, that analyzes these types of things, and though its exercise can be a bit complicated in its discipline, but the conclusions that come from it are quite simple. And, um, and we can draw the information from there. So is it possible for us to believe the New Testament with logic and reasoning? Is it possible? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to spend a little bit of time on this this morning. I've got a 12-point sermon. So we probably won't get through all of it today. But there's good news. Some of you may or may not know this, but we will meet back here on Sunday next week, same time, same place, and we can finish this out. All right. So you ready? All right, this is going to be some fun stuff, so I'm, I'm excited about being able to present it to you this morning. So is it reasonable to believe that the New Testament is true? What are some of the facts about the New Testament that give us that we should believe that the Bible is true? One mark of reliable documentation, especially in, of documentation of antiquity, is that it must come from multiple independent sources. That is very important, is it needs to come from multiple independent sources to increase the reliability of it. Now, why is that? How many of y'all know of a religion that was formed by one man's vision and his alone? Yes, there are religions out there. Well, the thing about it is, does that mean that his vision is wrong? It doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because he's the only person who witnessed it, but there's no evidence or facts to back up what he is saying. There's nobody else to confirm that it actually happened. And if Christianity is true... Christianity says that anything that contradicts Christianity is wrong in and of itself, using the Bible as our standard. But however, you can't prove that it's wrong, and you can't prove that it is right. So what gives strength to, document, to historical documents of antiquity is if there are multiple um, independent sources that contribute to it that will give it more reliability. 
because you can cross-examine between the different sources um, to determine, to de and you can determine to see if it is accurate or not. Now, whenever I talk about this in a, in a nutshell, this is, this is pulled out of a, a, a study that I do called Bible Analysis. This is a, an acrostic. And what does that acrostic say? Bible? Yes. How many of y'all can spell Bible? Okay, there's five points in here that, that kind of describe the multiple um, independent resources that we have and a timeline that is given for the Bible that will actually strengthen the authenticity or the ability to authenticate the, uh, the Bible as a whole. Now, the first letter is B. Is that, can y'all read that? Okay. The first letter is B. Okay, that stands for Bible, which is actually coming from the word Biblia. Biblia simply means books. Okay, so whenever you look at your, the, the cover of your Bible that you're holding in your hand, whenever you see Holy Bible, what does it actually say? Holy book. Okay, it's a holy book. Now, we have a book that is, that is called the Bible, and it is a book that, the way it is today, but the book is multiple books. In the Bible, we have 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. So that's your first letter, Biblia, which means books, books of the Bible. So we have 66 books. I is inscribers or writers. I didn't put writers because there's not a W in Bible. So I for inscribers. And what we find there is we have about 40 different writers of the Bible. There's your multiple independent sources. But not only do we have multiple independent sources, these people lived over a wide range of time which the, the, the next letter B is birthdays. And the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. For 1,500 years, the process of the Bible started with Moses around 1400 B.C., and it ended no later than 70 A.D. with the Apostle John, which we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later as well. So you have, you, have a, you have a period of 1,500 years. But also, L, locations, it's in four major geographical locations. You have, you, have the, you have the area of Israel, Asia, which is known as Babylon, Europe, and Africa. And at the end, it equals zero contradictions. We have a coherent story from beginning to end. So what does that mean? We have a coherent story without any contradictions. We have 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years in four major geographical locations, and they all say the same thing. We have a coherent story from Genesis all the way to maps in the Word of God. That's a pretty amazing book. Have you ever tried to play the telephone game with some kindergartners, or even adults, where one person whispers to the next, and he whispers to the next, and by the time it gets through the room, it's not even the same message. But we've got a Bible they composed of 66 different books by 40 different writers written over 1,500 years in four major geographical locations, and we have one coherent story. It's about Jesus Christ. We have paradise lost in Genesis, paradise regained in Revelation, and everything in the middle is about redemption. That is an amazing, that's an, that's an amazing um, part of the authentication process of the Word of God. One remarkable one mark of reliable documentation is that it comes from multiple independent sources. So do we, do we meet that requirement? Very easily. All right, next. So not only, not only does it contribute to that 66 books to have multiple um, independent sources, but we have thousands 
of New Testament manuscripts. Thousands of them. We have many different copies of the manuscripts of the New Testament. Now, we don't have any of the originals. Okay, we don't have the actual substance that, that we don't have you have the, um, the, the letters that Paul penned himself. What happens is, is Paul would write these letters, or the apostles would write these letters that would get sent to churches. And these churches and these people would take what he wrote, and it's like, oh, this is really, really good. So they would make a copy for themselves. Then they would pass it on, and then someone else would make a copy. So I need to make a copy for me and my, my brother. And then they would make copies for themselves, and then it would it end up circulating all over the place. So through that process of copying and copying and copying and copying, we've been able to uncover you know, thousands of New Testament manuscripts. Now, the benefit of that is, is that you can see if there's any variations of, uh, with, within those manuscripts. Now, say, let's just say, for instance, you find a manuscript in the dirt somewhere in the world. You pick it out, and you've got one copy of it. And the, it's given authorship to a specific person in history. Now, there's only, there's, there's only two possibilities. It's true or it's not. But you have no way, other, uh, you have no way to confirm it. Now let's say if you got two of the same manuscripts and they're different, how do you know which one's right? It'd be really nice if you had another copy to verify. So, so now you have the possibility of, of, uh, of allowing your, your witness your, your, or truth to be established in two or more witnesses here, which is biblical. So you can say you got three copies, two, uh, two agree completely and one has a line that's missing. You can actually take a look at that and say, well, these two here are what the original was actually, what was actually. And the more copies you have, if you had 10 or 20 or 30 or 1,000, you can cross-examine those and be able to reconstruct exactly what the original text said. So to have thousands of copies is a good thing. One, you can compare and see where some variations are, but two, you will always, you can have the confidence that it was never in the hands of one particular group of people or one person. Because what can one person or a group of people do with it? They can change it, right? And make it say whatever they want. So the fact that we have thousands of manuscripts is a good thing. But how many do we have in comparison to what else is out there? If you take a look at Homer's Iliad, his writings were done between the 12th century and 8th century BC. We have 1,800 copies of his writings. That is a wealth of copies. We have the ability to cross-examine and we can authenticate his writings very confidently because there's 1,800 copies. The writings of Demosthenes. How many of you have ever heard of Demosthenes? Okay. He, was, um, he, was, he lived around 400 BC and we got 400 copies. Another great pool of manuscripts that we can authenticate from. Now, I'm pretty we've all heard of Julius Caesar, right? How many of y'all, how many of y'all believe that he existed? Well, there's only 10 documents that we have to confirm. Roman historian, the Roman historian Tacitus, we only have 20 copies. Pliny, seven copies. No one disputes the authenticity of these manuscripts. And the reason why they don't dispute it is because they have multiple copies that say the same thing. And they're able to verify and authenticate these, the, uh, the things about what these people wrote. Now, how does the Bible stand up to this? It'd be nice if we had 500, right? It'd be good if we had 1,000, to even be close. How many do you think we got? Well, if you just count in the Greek manuscripts that we have found, in the original Greek, 
we have 5,824 manuscripts that have been found. That's quite a bit. Now, if you count all the other languages, it's more than 20,000 manuscripts that we can authenticate and verify and be able to reconstruct exactly what the New Testament writers wrote down. That's an amazing thought. The Bible is the most well-preserved and documented pieces of antiquity in the entire world. So there should be no question about the ability to authenticate it. So the average, the average Greek, the average Greek, um, uh, the average classical Greek writer has less than 20 copies of his work still in existence. If you stack them up, they're only about four feet high. If you stack up all the New Testament documents that we have found, it'll be over a mile thick. Okay. That's an amazing piece of, piece of work that we do have in the New Testament. All right. So does it pass that test? Absolutely. We have many, many copies that we can verify and reconstruct exactly what the, uh, the apostles wrote. Now, if we, if we do have those manuscripts and we aren't able to reconstruct exactly what they, um, what they wrote, can we actually date them to the times of the apostles? Can we give them an early enough date that we can get personal first-hand testimony as far as what they're saying? Well, we do. The manuscripts were written very early in the first century. Actually, we, actually, we can conservatively date the New Testament writings to be to come almost at the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can take it almost all the way back to the event, but we do... Um, uh, but, but we do give a more of a general idea, and we can limit that very easily to the, entire, the entirety of the New Testament to be written before 70 A.D. What happened in 70 A.D.? Anybody remember? Ms. Louise, were you there? No? In 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem happened, where they, where they, where they surrounded the city, destroyed the city, and they burnt down the temple. In 66 AD, there was an uprising from the Jewish, from the Jews against the Romans. And because of the uprising, the, Rome, the Roman emperor dispatched General Titus to the region to gain control back over the area. Now, they had a conflict that went on for about four years, and then finally, General, General Titus, he surrounded the, the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the city, killed so many people, they actually say that it's second place to the Holocaust as far as the Jewish tragedies. Burned the city down and tore the temple down and burned it. Now, the reason why we say that the New Testament was completed before 70 AD, in, in light of this historical fact, is there's not one line about this event taking place in the New Testament. Now, most of the New Testament was written by Jewish people in a Jewish culture. So don't you think that if, if it wasn't, if, or if the, if the, if the um, New Testament wasn't completed by then, that this would have been mentioned. Absolutely. But what, is it, what does it say about Jerusalem? Well, if we look in the oldest gospel, which is the gospel of John, this is, this is said to have, to have been penned after the book of Acts, and John was, is the latest gospel to be written. Now, in John chapter 5 and verse 2, this is how it describes Jerusalem. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem, in the present tense, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which, is Aramaic, which in Aramaic is called Beth Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or five covered patios or, or porches. He's describing it in present tense. The Sheep Gate is still there. The pool is still there. 
and these covered porches are still there. So that tells us that for sure, with reasonable, um, with beyond reasonable doubt, that we can say that the New Testament was completed before this time in history, before this event took place, because there's not one line or shred of evidence of this event taking place that we can find in the New Testament. There's actually not even a line about the, um, about the uprising in 66, so you can actually go a little bit earlier. But just, just, um, just from a real, real, real conservative, we're going to say 70 AD. So are they early at the time of when the events actually took place? Yes. Now, why is it early? Why, why, is, it, why is it important that the documents are dated early? Because usually the closer you write the documents to the event, the more details you're going to have, have about it. How many of y'all forgot what you wore two days ago? All right. Now, if you wrote down that day what you wrote before you went to bed, you should be able to remember that. But it's important that these documents were actually written early. And what's, what's important about the fact that the documents are written early is that they named several different specific people. And they're actually putting these letters out there amongst their contemporaries. And anything that they would be saying would be true or wrong. They would be, be easily called out on it. So they're, so they're putting their things, it's, it's, uh, they're putting their letters out there. It makes it more vulnerable, plus giving it another layer of, uh, of authenticity. It's the fact that we can date these writings back to the people that say they wrote the, wrote the Bible. You know, whenever we, whenever we look in here and we say, well, Paul wrote this, uh, Peter wrote this, John wrote this, Matthew wrote this, we can do it with great confidence because we can date the Bible to when they existed. We can date their writings to the years that they were alive. All right, next. The documents that we have in the New Testament are a collection of eyewitness testimony. Now, we already established that, yes, we can date them to the point where these writers were alive. Now, now are they eyewitness accounts? Now, what gives, them the, what gives it the weight that we need in order to see that they are eyewitness testimonies? Now, there's, there's no denying that the New Testament does read like a collection of eyewitness accounts. Would you agree? Okay, now that doesn't mean that they are. It means they read like that they are. But the truth is found is in the details that we find within the New Testament writings themselves. These are details that can only come about from someone who was actually there at the time. The details that we find within the New Testament did not exist 100 years later. Some didn't exist even 50 years later. But we have, we have in the New Testament them describing specific places and specific details now, in the book of Acts, the last 16 chapters, a, guy, a, a classic scholar and historian, Colin Hemer, he identifies 84 different specific details in the last 16 chapters of the book of Acts alone. 84 details. Now, what is this? What is, what is this? We're talking about specific people, specific places. We're talking about specific ports and their locations, the routes that the ships took from one port to the other. It's very, very detailed. In, in, these, um, in these accounts. But also the book of John gives us 59 confirmed um, details. It's not just that we're going through the, through the Word of God and counting the details that are listed and saying, well, this is a detail that's given. These are historically and archaeologically confirmed details. 84 just in the last 16 chapters of Acts, and we have 59 in John alone in doing that. Now Luke, he was a very, very good writer. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, okay. Luke wrote the book of Luke as well as the book of Acts. 
He has, he has become known, uh, even in contemporary historians as well as, as well as throughout the generations, Luke was a historian of first rate. His, his attention to detail was second to none, and he still holds that as well. There's a Roman historian, A.N. Sherwin White. This is what he says about the book of Acts. He says, for the book of Acts, confirmation of its historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity must now appear absurd. Roman historians have long taken it for granted. That's a big statement. So, can it be considered as an eyewitness account of what of, um, of the writers of the New Testament? Absolutely. We can date them to the time that they were alive, and because of the details that they reveal about the time and the people and the places, we can confirm that this is something that could only come from someone who was actually there and saw the things that they were writing about. All right. Now, how many of you have ever heard someone ask, well, you know, you really can't believe the Bible because the writers had an agenda. And what do they ask for? Are there any non-Christian writers? Are there any non-Christian sources that can confirm what the New Testament says? Now, there's an underlying message there that they're trying to convey to you is what? You can't believe the New Testament writers because they had an agenda, correct? Now, we've covered this before, and you should remember this. Okay, in spite of the fact that the, that, that the fact that they, that they spread this new gospel, this new religion, and trusting in Jesus and rejecting the old, the old way, it, it only got them beaten, tortured, and killed. Okay, so they didn't really push an agenda. They, they pushed it because it was true, not because of what they could gain out of it. But however, they, they, um, whenever they, someone looks at the, the Bible as a religious book, they think automatically that the religious writers we're pushing an agenda. Okay, and then they, it draws them to ask the question, well, are there any non-Christian um, sources that can confirm this? Well, not that we need that based on what we talked about, but there are. There are non-Christian um, uh, writings that we, can, that we can look to that confirm exactly what the New Testament says about Jesus. Jesus is confirmed by non-Christian writers. Now, there's not a whole lot of them. And what we do is we have, we have 10 non-Christian sources who mention Jesus within 150 years of his life. 10 mentions from non-Christian writers. Say that's not a lot. Well, also, I mean, it's also possible that the moment that people heard about this Jesus, it's possible they converted, right? But these are 10, un, these are 10 known non-Christian sources that mention Jesus within 150 years of his life. So it's very close proximity to the time that Jesus lived. And these people, they had no motivation to confirm anything about him but they verify every detail that the New Testament says about his life, his death, and his resurrection. You can confirm the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by non-Christian writers. Now, by contrast here, there's only nine non-Christian sources that mention the Roman emperor at that time. Jesus is mentioned more by non-Christian sources than, uh, than the actual emperor, Tiberius Caesar. Yes, so Jesus was a much more influential man even than the rulers of his day um, are. But if you tie in all the Christian sources, for, Jesus gets 43 mentions and Tiberius only gets 10. Jesus, believe it or not, is more important than the emperor. Emperor there. So does non-Christian sources confirm? Absolutely they do. And there's no reason that these non-Christian sources would confirm details that, that were contained in the New Testament unless they were actually true. Now that's, pretty, that's a pretty strong argument as well. Are you starting to believe that the New Testament is a reliable source? I mean, if you're learning anything, 
not learning anything at all. And there's still people who are uncomfortable raising their hands in church. Okay. All right, next. We can reconstruct the New Testament by using only the quotes of the early church fathers. Now, this, this is kind of a twofold authentication process that we have here. And we have early church fathers. This is, a, this, is why, this is another reason why it's reasonable to believe that the New Testament is reliable and trustworthy is that we can reconstruct it using the quotes of the early church fathers. Now, their writings are between the years of 95 A.D. and 110. <clears throat> so very close to the time that Jesus and the apostles lived and, and possibly died very soon before this. Now, we have three leaders in the Christian church, and they nearly cite the entire New Testament within their own writings. The early church fathers, they confirmed enough about, the old, enough about the New Testament claims. Every book in the Bible is quoted except for Jude and 2 John. Now, this is, this is going to be really, really cool. Now, what do they actually say? What are the quotations that we're talking about here? Can we really construct the truth about the, uh, about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our early church fathers, the next generation after the apostles? Now, going off of the works of these three church fathers, Clement, Ignatius, and Polycarp, Polycarp, this is the truth that we can derive from their writings that were written between the years of 95 and, 1, and 110 A.D. Jesus was predicted by the Old Testament. Jesus is divine. Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus worked miracles. He was born of a virgin. Jesus lived and ministered, was crucified and died, as described in the New Testament. Jesus rose from the dead and demonstrated his deity described in the New Testament. You get all of that, completely and totally extra-biblical writings by the early church fathers. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? So skeptics are hoping to look for a version of Jesus that's less divine, less miraculous, less supernatural. They're not going to find it in the writings of the first generation that followed the apostles. They will find that exact same Jesus being preached and taught about in the early church fathers. And actually, we can, we can quote almost the entirety of the New Testament by the quotations of our early church fathers. Now, what does that mean on top of that? That, again, confirms that the New Testament in its entirety was completed, done, copied, and was being circulated all over the place in order for these three church fathers to have access to all of it. It spread like wildfire, which is an amazing, amazing truth. So this again confirms that one, not only did the early church fathers have access to it, it, it confirms that these documents were written early during the times of the lives of those apostles, the ones who actually wrote it down. All right. So skeptics are looking for that version of Jesus. They're not a, a, um, a version of Jesus that is less divine. They will not find one. That's all the time we have for this morning, ladies and gentlemen. But just from these six out of the 12 points that I have brought forward, if we can go ahead and prepare for a hymn of invitation this morning. What we have gone through and what we have found is that the New Testament it is reasonable to believe that it is true simply based on the fact that we had multiple independent sources that contributed to it, never in the hands of one single person or a group of people. We have thousands of, the, of, of copies of the New Testament manuscripts that give us the ability to compare. We have the manuscripts that, that date early to the very lives of those who claim to have written it, to the authors. 
The documentations are a collection of eyewitness accounts. They were actually there. They weren't just telling a story or making things up. Non-Christian sources confirm the most important details about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we can also construct the entirety of the New Testament almost just by the quotes of the early, early, early church fathers. We have an amazing Bible, folks. This, is, this gives us evidence that we can stand on firmly believing what we teach and what we preach. And I hope I've been able to maybe enlighten you to some of the truths about the Word of God this morning that will maybe ignite you to want to know more about what is in there. So let's stand. Let's have a hymn of invitation, a hymn of singing this, this morning. And if the Lord has touched your heart in any way, I pray that you will respond accordingly to his call. Let's see. Mm -hmm.